0: well good morning Ford point real quick before she goes to her back door yesterday was kylie's birthday so if you get a chance today make sure to wish her a happy 18th birthday we appreciate you so much kai kai for all your hard work congratulations to becoming an adult i had faith that you'd be able to do it well good morning good morning it's so good to be with you all as we wrap up things here this morning with our uh, winning at home series um you know when i think about some of the weird crazy things that i have done throughout my life one of the things that comes up is uh, I've been a part of a lot of different dance kind of organizations. Now, you probably look at me and think, you know, a dancer, you don't have the legs for it. But, uh, you know, as a young, young person, there was a girl who I really liked, and I won't say her name, but I really liked her. So she was a part of this dance group. So I said, you know what, hey, in order to see her, love to be part of this dance group as well. So I spent years being a part of this kind of jazz, modern dance group. And, and here's the thing that I've come to learn about dance, is that it's, it's easier to dance when you got like a group of lines, people, you know, and you're all kind of doing the same thing looking at the audience. But when it comes to dancing with someone in front of you, it's quite a different story, right? Like Slow dancing, yeah, everybody can do that, but like when you talk, look at some of the, uh, the, the, the dancers where they're doing all sorts of twists and turns and uh, finding a way not to break each other's ankles, like that's pretty amazing that they can do that. Uh, take for instance, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a party here at the Palace Theater where we got together. Uh, Amber was celebrating her birthday, and she wanted to do a prom night, so some friends here at the church, the cooks, brought in some professional dancers to teach some moves, And at first, the group all started off learning across from their partner. But very quickly, we learned that uh, this was not a safe thing for them to be participating in. So eventually, again, we went back. They took everyone to the lines. And in case you can't tell who these people are, there's Scott and Eileen. A little blurry, but Scott was the the man with the robot moves back there. And uh, there's Patrick, our worship leader, uh, doing a little Blues Brothers action. Not sure what was going on there. My, my wife and I, we got to be the DJs in the back, so we didn't have to embarrass ourselves too bad. But at the end, we went up there for the last song, and you, you know whenever you're not sure what to do when it comes to dancing, always a safe bet is slow dance, right? All you gotta do is wrap the other person real close to you, tight, and just kinda go side to side. Even if you don't have any rhythm, there's a good chance you can survive slow dancing. I'll share with you, this is a picture from our wedding when we got to slow dance at our, at our wedding, right? But when it comes to dancing with somebody in front of you, again, learning by yourself and, and doing some dance moves by yourself, it's pretty easy. Maybe you line dance and you line dance, you learn the moves, but it's something you do by yourself. And you get face-to-face with somebody, and it requires some finesse. It requires some complimenting of one another to be able to, to do it. It's hard, it's tricky. Again, slow dancing, it's easy. And sometimes, just like in life, life is anything but slow, and it can be hard when it comes at you, even more so when it comes to being in a, a family. So we've been in the middle of this series and we're wrapping it up today, and really the crux of this idea is that you can be winning in everywhere else in your life, but if you're not winning at home, then there's a good chance your, your life, you're not really winning. Likewise, it doesn't matter what could be happening outside in the world around you. You could be losing your job. You could be having to quarantine. You could be having to uh, give up extracurricular activities because of finances or skill. But if you're winning at home, you handle all those L's with ease. Every week I've got the chance to introduce you to my home team. I've enjoyed, this is probably my favorite part to to brag on my family. There's my wife, Chazlet, uh, some 12 years later from our slow dancing moves there. Our oldest, Justice, is in the top right there, and Chazare and Litley, and Augustine. That's my home team. That's the team that I'm fighting for. You probably have a home team as well that you're fighting for, even if you live by yourself, you are in the uh, the process of, of becoming a result of your home team, as well as at one point maybe having your own home team. But we are also your home team as your spiritual family, and God has a design. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't like He created Adam and then He created Eve, and He's like, "Oh wow, you know what? If I put the two and two together, huh? What do you know? It works." That what a surprise, right? This wasn't a shock to, to God to, uh, to have this family unit. In fact, the family unit is something that God designed the institution before the church. So when it comes to how he wants to move and work in humanity, it starts with winning at home and through the family. In the first week, he said, we're, we're drawing a line in the sand for fighting for our homes, for our families. And then the next week, we looked at this idea that winning at home will be the result of intentional planning and consistent application. When it comes to doing the things that we know are going to help us to win at home, it's got to go more than just intentional planning and coming up with ideas, but we need consistent application. Because you don't just stumble into winning at home. You just don't find yourself one day waking up to an amazing family. It's important. Intentional planning, consistent application. And we said, you know what? culture around us is doing, it doesn't matter what's happening, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, and that's going to be our mantra. And last week, we looked at this very important idea of the Kitsuji art form. Where God takes broken things, that God is making all things new. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm not making new things, right? It's not like, out with those broken things and I'm going to replace it with brand new things. But he says, I'm going to make all those broken things, I'm going to make them new. And we here at Ford Point, it's one of our values. As we say, we value fixing broken things over just building new things. Even in the, the state of the wall coming crashing down here. Right, we're going to fix these broken things, because that's what we value. So today, we're going to talk about this idea of being in sync at home, which very rarely happens, right? where the, uh, the family is able to complement each other, as opposed to being at odds or working against each other. Now, being in sync, we have to catch this, being in sync does not mean that we're all doing exactly the same thing. It doesn't mean that we have to act the same way, because if we were all just doing the same thing, then the reality is everyone else wouldn't be needed. God created all of us with purpose, specific plans and purposes, and these purposes work together not to to be uniform and cookie-cutter, but to work in tandem and to complement one another. It's, It's working towards the same goal. And what we see in the New Testament is Paul gives us a blueprint for the family. So what I'd like to do is just kind of read right through the blueprint, and then we're going to go back and kind of dive into it, okay? So hang with me as we read along. If you want to follow along, it's Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bibles, or if you're using the YouVersion app, you can go to live events, and you can follow along with all the verses in the notes. But here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. but holy and blameless. He says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And not to leave the kids out, he says, Children, here's your, your call. You are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. That's a lot there, right? But what we see in here is that there's something for everyone. For, for some of us, you may feel uh, you may just uh, identify with one of the roles that Paul just talked about, but there's at least one role in there for you. At some point, all of us, we're sons and daughters. But some of us may be in process to being a husband or a wife, or we may be currently being a husband or a <clears throat> wife, Or in the future, there may be a husband and wife title that you may own. But what I've come to learn is that when it comes to family, is that just like marriage, family is a whole lot more about being holy than it is about being happy. In our current culture, when you stop being happy, when when the feelings start to run out, then it's kind of our key that it's time to go and find a new spouse or a new family. But what Paul tells us, is that family is a lot more about being holy, about our relationship with God, than it is about being happy. That the family is by design, not by accident, his tool that he's going to work through on the earth. And Ephesians, while being this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, today what I would love for you to do is to personalize it and say, you know what, this is Paul's letter to to Ford Point on, on how we are called to relate to each other in our immediate families but also in our spiritual family. So let's dive back in, right? So that first verse, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, right? Anybody ever heard this verse before? This, this verse tends to be one of those verses that you kind of, it's like uh, trying to sneak out at night and you're creaking, you know, on the floors and you're about to be caught, right? Like, don't know how we're supposed to feel about this verse because we live in a culture where uh, it's equal rights and this is, you know, uh, uh, sometimes taken to a negative extreme. We've seen it used to, uh, to keep women suppressed, uh, sometimes abused, but really, there is a, uh, a beauty in here that we're going to tap into that uh, is part of how God designed us. And in this letter, Paul intentionally, he's wrapping up. It's only six chapters long, the end of chapter five, going into chapter six. He's talking about the family. He's saving the, the most important thing for the end, and he dives into the family, And while all too often it's easy for us to get caught up on this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. see the religion, it's old-fashioned, it's outdated, it's all about keeping women suppressed. The reality is it actually starts a verse before. If you go back to verse 21, Paul sub-prefaces all about what he's got to say about family. He says this, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, there's a a submission that is involved for all the members of the family, not just for the wives. This applies to the, the wives he's going to talk about first, but also then to the husbands, but also to the kids. There's this mutual submission that Paul is calling to us. And this word submit that we get, it's this military term. It's not this term that we see "obey." which we hear about in, when he says children obey, right? We saw that and we read obey. If it was the same word, then Paul would have, it would have been translated wives, obey your husbands. But it's not the same word. This word in the Greek is this military term uh, that it, it means almost to like volunteer, to sign up for battle. And what he's telling wives to do, if we were to kind of reword it in its original translation, he's really calling the wives to to go to battle for their husband, to support your husband. Wives, arrange yourselves for battle to your husband, to join them in battle for your husband. And culturally, in this day and age, women had no power. Women were kind of seen as a commodity, as, as kind of just a, uh, you know almost like any other decoration of the house, uh, something to be owned. There was no social status for women. Women could not testify in court. Uh, it was frowned upon for them to go to the marketplace on their own, I mean it was it, women very rarely would even be able to read. It was just treated as less than human, so really, when Paul's writing these letters to the ephesians he's he's liberating that Paul was the original kind of women's movement is he's liberating and giving women uh, a picture for their calling in the family. It's not just to be a token. Wife, it's not just to be a, a servant in the family, but women, wives, you have a calling to join your husbands in battle. Because the family is the tool at which God wants to work through in the earth. It is a battle. Anybody in any kind of family situation, you have experienced the battles that come through life. The, the changing of, of bodies in the teen years. Right? The, uh, the, the emotions, the, and I'm talking about women because I live with, with five women, so my experience is uh, a lot geared towards that. But for this day and age, this was a very liberating message for women that you have a higher calling than just to be a token place in a house. But what do we see in culture today is this very undermining of God's plan. We see it's about my right to choose. It's my body. Uh, you know, anything that you can do, I can do just as well, if not better. And there's this, this competition that's resulted as a as almost a perversion of the way that God ordained and created us. And there's this fight, there's this struggle that we see all throughout our culture. And Paul offers this challenge. That's just as true for for us today as it was then. Only for them, it was lifting them up. And and for us, we can also be lifted up in our roles in the family for wives. Wives, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Wives, respect. There's there's something in the, the, the way that we were created where wives crave to be loved and men crave respect. And this is the, the message that, that Paul has given his wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Show respect, honor them as you do. For, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, there's no doubt when I think about the different ways that my wife has honored and and supported me and respected me, uh, when I think about meeting her in Florida, if my wife had it her way, we never would have left Florida. In fact, if I had it my way, I probably never would have left Florida. But we left Florida, we moved back, and then we decided to go to Indiana to work at a church. And never in my wildest imagination would I imagine myself being in Indiana. Always an East Coast boy, but here we are in Indiana. We went into Indiana. Saying, you know, if this is where God's calling us, then we're going to grow our roots here. And this is where the, the Doyle family is going to grow. But he called us back, and we're back here in Indiana. And, and as long as I've known Chazza, she's always wanted to return to Florida. And she's always wanted to be a teacher. And she's always wanted to be an administrator. And through these different times where I've taken her off course to do these different things, to go to Indiana. When she was a, a teacher here in Syracuse and a, had to start all over with her seniority, she always submitted to you, if this is what God's calling us to do, Jimmy, then I, will, then I will go with you. All the while, she would work hard at her finishing her master's, and then she finished her administrator license, working hard to still honor what God called us to do as a family, but then to honor what she felt God calling her to do individually, even through the interruptions. And it was such a cool thing to be able to celebrate to the end of this last school year. She got to graduate from Syracuse University with her administrator license, right? After years and years of, of working hard and, and choosing to put the, the calling of God on our family first, but never letting go of the calling of God on her own life. And even now, sometimes we'll be watching TV. Just the other night she said, man, you know what, I'm only here in, Florida, in New York because of you. And I have to catch, I I, I challenge her. I said, Chazla, don't sell yourself short. All right, because you're not just the token wife, part of the family who does whatever Jimmy says. Right, you've chosen to honor God and respect and to to join the battle, to prepare yourself for battle in this relationship. Don't sell yourself short because you aren't just doing whatever you're told. You're in the midst of, of helping this family honor God and helping this family to be the instrument for now in New York to be his hands and feet in our community. Wives, don't sell yourself short by just doing whatever your husband says. And don't sell yourself short by thinking you have to be better than your husband or you have to, uh, you know, it's your body and just, you're not an individual, an island unto yourself, God has called us to work in tandem with each other. Husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Right? This is the calling that he says you know, husbands, you're not called to to just volunteer and and to uh, do whatever comes natural. He says you're intentionally called to love your wives just in the same way that Christ loved us, right? And, And Christ was not complacent about it. We're told that even while we were of no use to him, that Christ died for us, that he gave himself for us. That's the kind of mindset that God is calling us as husbands to have towards our wives. And you see these two kind of work in tandem with each other. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Love and respect is these things that work together in complementing each other. And it becomes a beautiful dance that you're able to do as the two work together together. But sometimes we say, you know, man, uh, you know, my, I'll start loving my wife when she starts respecting me, as if it's some kind of, you know, stalemate. And as soon as she starts doing her part, then I'll do my part. But husbands, we're not, we're not called to to love our wives if she's respecting. We're called to love our wives unconditionally, without any kind of hope for what we're going to receive as a result. These, these are not reciprocal actions where if I do one, then I'm going to get this back in return. These are not incentives like, hey, if you do this, you know, you're going to have a, a, a fun evening, right? But these are pathways to holiness that we're called to as a family. As a family, you're no longer, your holiness is not just measured by you as an individual, but is measured by you as a family, as a collective unit. And it requires the two of these to work in tandem with each other. It's not reciprocal because if it were, then it would probably never happen. It's, it's not an incentive because it would never last. But this holiness, it sets the stage for, for this complimenting, for this in-sync relationship that God has called us to as families. And just as Jesus tells you and me unequivocally that you know, you're loved, that you're, you're perfect, and, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made, so he's telling husbands... To instill that in your wife, that she, that you believe that she is fearful and wonderfully made, that she is perfect just the way that she is. And it's funny, sometimes the difference between men and women, right? Because I I watch Chazlet, and sometimes Chazlet's getting ready in the morning, and, and she looks beautiful, but there could be one thing that's out of place, right? It could be a pimple, or it could be a hair that's out of place, and it's like, you know, she feels like she looks terrible, Whereas guys, we look in the mirror, right? And we could be like 40 pounds overweight. We could have hair growing all sorts of weird places. And we're like, yeah, you got it going on, right? Like this, these are some of the differences that we have. But that's why these love and respect, they complement each other. And why it has to be in sync. Why the two work together in tandem. And when I think about all the, the things of my past, my addiction that I've, I've gone through, probably the, the one addiction of, of most other addictions that could undercut the way that my wife would feel about herself, I struggled with pornography. And that message, when she discovered it constantly, then began to put us in this place where she doubted. She doubted that she wasn't enough. She doubted that she was perfect just the way that she was. Because how could she if her husband was going to, to do all these other things? All the while, the message that I was charged with, right, and, uh, loving your wife, I was falling very short of. And last week I shared with you how she, for a long time, was always asking me this question, Jim, Jimmy, do you love me? And and while it pains me whenever she would ask me that, like I understand, I understand the the doubt and the fear that uh, was was put in there because I didn't love her the way that I was called to love her, and as a result, she was feeling like she wasn't enough. In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wife as your own body. Guys, if there's one thing we're good at, it's making sure that our bodies look good, right? that we're taking care of. But in that same way, we're called to love our wives. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Guys and girls, we're, we're different, and, and we can try to, to change that, we can try to have women's rights movements, and we can try to, uh, to make it different than the way God designed us, or we can try to understand the differences and recognize that wives need to respect, and husbands need to love, and the two can work in tandem, and we can complement each other. Instead of what we see is there is a perversion. There's an undermining of the way that God has designed things. We see things, uh, instead of being agape, where there's unconditional love, we've seen it turn into pornania is the Greek word. It's it's where we get the word pornography, but it's this uh, flesh love where we just go based on whatever feels good, right? When I think about myself as a, a high school student, man, there was one time in my high school career I'm so ashamed of because I was dating one girl and, you know, uh, flirting with another girl and, and making out with a third girl. And we talked about Jerry Springer last week, right? I had my own little Jerry Springer thing going on. And it was all fun and games until all three girls found out about the other girl, Right? And then it just blew up. And all of a sudden, my reputation as as being this godly Christian young man who put God first was destroyed. People that I cared about were hurt. But because there's this perverting of the way that we're called to treat women and called to treat our wives, that set a, a tone for how I would go through the rest of my life and the way I would treat women. Until I, I stop to recognize what am I called to do, no matter how I feel, no matter how she is returning those feelings back to me, I'm called to love just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's what we're called to do. Because uh, our nature longs to, to break free from the, the old-fashioned rules that we, you know, we see in, in religion. But these are, in fact, the the gateway, the, the past, the keys to success that we see to true fulfillment. And then we see, as Paul's wrapping up, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Hopefully this brings you back, if you were here for week one, this brings you back to week one. Where this is a quote from the book of Genesis, where God, in the original Hebrew, he uses the word ish and isha, the two becoming one, man and woman. And Paul reads that, and he quotes it, and he says, this is a profound mystery. The reality is, like, when you think you have it figured out, then that's the first sign that you don't. Because Paul, probably one of the smartest religious dudes, looks at it, he says, you know what, this is a mystery, as he quotes back to the, the fall, and he's, he's going through his mind in the fall where God created man. And if you go through the Genesis account, there's, very something, there's something very important that takes place, and you've got to catch this. Where God creates man, and he tells man, do not eat from this one tree. The entire garden, everything that you see, the animals, all of this is for you. Enjoy it. But there's this one tree, there's this one thing that I don't want you to do. And he tells these instructions to man. This is before Eve, the woman, was even created yet. And then he creates Eve. And when we look at the, what happens when the serpent comes in to tempt, there's this conversation between the serpent and between Eve. And Eve takes a bite of the apple. But nothing happens. Nothing happens until Eve comes to Adam and says, Here, take of this fruit. And when Adam eats, it says then sin entered the world, and from that point on, creation was doomed. Now I'll be honest with you, I don't understand why the man was created before the woman. I'm sure there's all sorts of theological books, but I read the story and I recognize that there is a calling, that there is a, 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 a weight, a burden that falls on the man, that dates back to creation, that's a mystery. That there wasn't sin that entered the world until the man ate of the fruit. And it's a mystery. And we can try to buck the system. We can try to fight for equal rights. But this morning, God is wanting to take us to a place where we desire, not for for our will to be happy, but if as we look at the book of Ephesians, and Paul's giving us this blueprint of, of the body of Christ and how we work together, We might be influencers in the world. As a result of the fall, there's love. You see, love and respect that that we experience now, it's not a result of the fall. It'd be easy for us to think the fall happened and and sin entered the world, so now we're in this uh, uh, tug of war of having to love and respect, to love and respect. But it's God's design from the beginning for this to work in tandem, And, and while the fall has perverted the love and respect, it's been God's design from the beginning. This sweet sink of love and respect between husbands and wives. It's important. and let's, We can't leave the children out, right? Children, it's, it's very simple for you guys. Children, obey your parents. Can I get an amen, parents? That's right. For this is right. And again, Paul quotes... The commandment's in Exodus to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. All right? There's, a, there's an age in, in which where you're a child and, and you have to just obey because that's what you're supposed to do. Where you, you, know, you have, in our modern society, we have children, but we're not called to raise children. We're called to raise men and women. You raise followers of Jesus. And there's a spot where they have to do what you say, but there's also a spot where you have to be able to, parents, raise up your kids to be able to make the right choices. And sometimes you give them some freedom and you have to pull back because they're not ready to make those choices yet. But it's our responsibility. When they start making those wrong, we clamp back down. And again, it's more mystery, where Paul specifically seems to be talking to fathers, like, fathers, you have a responsibility in your family. There's all sorts of stats you look at when there's kids in fatherless homes, the the rate of incarceration and the rate of divorce and all these things that increase as a result of being in a fatherless home. It's a mystery. Like, I can't explain it, the science behind it, but there's a mystery in how God designed us where there's something from the Father. And you can't just command your way to raising followers of Jesus. There's this investment that is required. And I saw this picture this week where the the, the large container of balls on the right-hand side there represents, you know, some 3,000 hours that parents, you're going to have with your kids. And this little itty-bitty bucket of balls represents the some 40 hours that they may have here at church. Like families, parents, there there is a, an opportunity that we have a responsibility in winning at home when it comes to our kids. And in the same way, there's a complementation that happens between husbands and wives. There's one that happens between parents and kids where we complement and work together in the home. And this is an awesome, I believe, liberating Passage for us as families in the book of Ephesians, but Paul isn't quite done here in Ephesians. Because if you read further on, the next section that Paul ends with, does anybody know? It's the armor of God. Like, Paul goes into this discourse about families, why families are so important, and families, once you get in line and get in order, here's what you have to do, is you have to put on the full armor of God because it's a battle, because you're in the midst of a war, because wives, you're called to stand in battle with your husbands, you just don't go along with it because you have to, you don't stand for your abuse because you have to, but you are in support with your husbands in battle, fighting in this world. And that's why we have things, life life groups that we do together as a, pa- a family. Because we want it together. Life change, it doesn't happen in rows here. It happens in circles. And we want you to be winning at home. That's why we have things like starting point that we're going to start because it doesn't matter where you're at in your faith. We believe that together as a spiritual family, we can come together and grow as a family. There's a high calling that we have, but it's a liberating calling. Because I'll be honest with you, have been married for 12 years, and I feel like I'm just now tapping into the best years of my, not my, just my life, but on our relationship. And I want that for you, and I believe that for you, whether you're married, you're going to be married, it's possible for you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful this morning for the things that you're doing this morning, but all throughout this month that you're doing at Forward Point. God, that we can be winning at home. That in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of mass declarations from government officials, like it doesn't matter because if we're winning at home, we're going to be able to walk through any fire, through any hell, as we fight together, as we put on the armor of God, used not just to to be in a defensive hiding place, but to to storm the the gates of hell that we're going to go after. So God, we just pray for families this morning. We pray for the, the brokenness that is representative of our culture that we live in that happens as a result of our own sin and desires of going our own way. We pray against any spirits that say, I'm not going to love my wife until she respects me or I'm not going to respect my husband until he starts loving me. God, we pray that you would just break any kind of attitude in us that just seeks for our own first And we would lay that down at your altar this morning to say, God, I'm just going to do what you called me to do and leave the rest up to you. Help us to be families who win. Help us to be families who, if it requires coming to the altar and, and praying, if it requires moments of seclusion at home to just pray and intercede where we just refuse to be denied the families that God designed for us, the the opportunity to be in complementation of one another. And people will be able to see and look and be drawn just because of the way they see us loving each other. We love you so much forward point as we close this morning they're going to sing and respond through through worship if there's something that you need prayer for we're going to be available on either side to to pray for you if there's something specifically in your families that god has been doing and wanting to do he's hopefully making that aware this morning and if you just want to agree with somebody to pray we're going to be here for you or anything else that you need to, to pray for you otherwise just enjoy and respond to what god is doing this morning